good morning again. My name is Jonathan, and the pleasure of meeting you. I serve Mission Church as one of the pastors. I'm delighted to be with you this morning, especially as we continue on our journey through the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. So if you have a Bible, please grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles on the shelf out front. We also have scripture journals that are the book of Matthew that you can take, and, and that's our gift to you. Feel free to grab those at any point. Um, but turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We began our journey through this biblical gold mine known as the Sermon on the Mount um, by looking at the first seven of the eight Beatitudes. We did not make it all the way through the Beatitudes, and this morning we're going to pick up right where we left off last Sunday, and we're going to see the power and the purpose of kingdom living. The power and the purpose of kingdom living. Now, when you are there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, I want to invite you to stand if you're able to for the reading of God's Word. This morning we're going to be focusing on specifically verses 10 through 16, but since this is a, perhaps a little bit of a continuation and for context, I'd like to go ahead and read the, from verse 1. So verse 1 through 16. Hear the Word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 16. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your your Word. I pray that You would soften our hearts so that we could have a greater understanding of who You are. Lord, it is only through the work of Your Spirit that our hearts can be replaced and renewed. Our stone replaced by flesh. Lord, I pray that You would make us sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit where once calluses were built up due to sin or disbelief, Lord, that we would be sensitive to the moving of Your Spirit in our life and in our community. Lord, I pray that as we discuss what it means to be blessed through persecution and what it means to be salt and light to the world, I pray, Lord, that You would equip us with a greater understanding of who You've called us to be as Your followers and what You've called us to do. Lord, as I preach this morning, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, that they would be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight. God, You are our rock and our Redeemer. We love You. We are 
desperate for you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The world in which we live is tragically broken, morally depraved. It's a world that has been perverted and corrupted by the insidious presence of sin. And sin's pervasive influence has left everything around us in a state of relentless decay. As if the very essence of life itself is slowly eroding. Sin has cast a thick and suffocating darkness over the land, enshrouding not only the physical world, but the, the hearts of humanity. We need to only look around and witness the pain and confusion that plagues so many people as they grope around blindly through the darkness, as they grope around in their own brokenness and sin, we can feel the palpable effects of disobedience, which is a world torn apart by the consequences of our rebellion against the Creator. The truth is, it's not only difficult, but it can be overwhelming to follow Jesus in such a depraved, decaying, and dark world. The values of this world, the principles that underpin its priorities, often clash head-on with the values and the priorities of the kingdom of God. It's a collision of worldviews. It's a constant tug-of-war between a temporal and eternal. As a result, many of us, we find ourselves grappling with an all-too-familiar fear, the, the fear of man, the fear that our faith will lead us to be rejected, ridiculed even subjected to suffering. It's as though this world that we live and its resistance to God has cast us, His children, as, as outsiders, as misfits in a society that is increasingly marginalized the faithful. So the question before us today is profound. And that is, how can we not only persevere but how can we bold, boldly and joyfully and faithfully follow Jesus in a world that opposes us at every turn? How can we navigate the tumultuous waters of the world's hostility and at the same time shine God's light so that others might find rescue on the shores of God's grace? Well, in our text this morning, we will discover that the gospel, not the, the good news of Jesus Christ, serves as our unshakable foundation. That the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ serves as our hope and it anchors us firmly in the promise of salvation, which is an unassailable promise. A promise given to us by God's grace received through faith in Jesus. And there's nothing that can strip away this promise. There's nothing that can diminish this promise's significance. Instead, it stands as an eternal testament to God's unwavering love and commitment to us, His children. Now, with this profound assurance, we can walk in confidence. We can know that Jesus is not only strengthening us, but He is empowering us for the kingdom mission that He has called us to, that He has entrusted us with. You see, you and I, we're not merely called to be passive observers in a broken world. No, we are called to be purposeful agents of change, ambassadors of God's amazing grace. And we are armed with the unbreakable promise of the Gospel. We are set apart to live as salt and as light in a world marred by corruption, decay, and darkness. In the face of adversity, friends, 
our confidence can be unshaken, for we are not alone on this mission that God has called us to. For God has promised to neither leave us nor forsake us. In fact, it is Jesus who is our source of hope. He walks beside us. He illuminates our path. He is the one who empowers us and strengthens us to navigate the challenges of kingdom living in a dark and decaying world. Brothers and sisters, together as salt and light, as we pursue holiness, we will bear witness to Jesus. And we can know that without a shadow of a doubt that the Gospel's power within us will enable us to make a significant impact on the very fabric of this world. It will help us to push back against the corruption. It will empower us to dispel the darkness that seeks to envelop the world around us. With these truths clearly seen in our text, we see three specific realities that we'll go through this morning. Number one, the persecution of the world. Number two, the salt of the earth. And number three, the light of the world. Let's begin with reality number one, the persecution from the world. The persecution from the world. As Jesus, He concludes His list of Beatitudes, He wraps up His description of what it looks like to to live as a citizen in the kingdom of God. And He says, look at verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Now remember this word that we learned last week, this word blessed or blessed is this Greek word makarios is an extremely important word. It's jam-packed. And it's often translated as, as happy, which is not an incorrect translation, but it does fall short. It misses the nuance and the depth of this word. You see, Jesus is not saying to us, people are, being, are persecuting you, so you should feel happy. That's not what He's saying here, because that, that would be nonsense. Rather, just like the previous seven Beatitudes that we learned last Sunday, Jesus is describing a life that is complete. He's describing wholeness. He's revealing to us a life that is approved by God. So as you follow Jesus, as you pursue kingdom living, and you are persecuted as a result of that, the persecution speaks to the fact that you are living a life of Christian integrity. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Notice in verse 11 that Jesus says, you are blessed when they insult you and speak falsely about you. He does not say you are blessed if. See, every beatitude, verses 3 through 10, are characteristics of a Christian. Every Christian is called to be poor in spirit, or you're not Christian. Every Christian must mourn their sin and hunger and thirst after righteousness, or you're not pursuing kingdom living. And with verse 10 being the last of the beatitudes, Jesus assumes that if you are pursuing kingdom living, if you are pursuing a life that, that loves Jesus and lives like Jesus and leads others to Jesus, if you are in any way pursuing a life that reflects the kingdom of God, then you will experience some kind of loss, some kind of rejection, pushback, or opposition. Consider what 2 Timothy 3.12 says. It says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So blessed, approved, is the one who is persecuted. But unfortunately, this is where people tend to stop reading. 
They tend to stop reading at, at, at this point. Blessed are those who are persecuted and, and they put a period at the end of the sentence. And every time they experience some sort of conflict, rejection, pushback, or uncomfortable disagreement, they delude themselves into thinking that they are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And therefore, they're blessed. They're approved by God. But listen to me. (laughs) Starbucks holiday cup is not persecution. Disney producing an inappropriate movie is not persecution. That's non-Christians living as non-Christians. Jesus is not saying blessed are those who are persecuted because they are rude. Let's be honest. Sometimes Christians suffer rejection and conflict simply because they have unpleasant personalities. Or because they're rude. Because they're judgmental. Because they're obnoxious, insensitive, thoughtless. Jesus is not giving us an out here. He is not excusing us of our difficult personalities. Rather, look at verse 10. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. We have to consider all of what Jesus is saying in our text here. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. In the context, this righteous living that Jesus is speaking of here is the first of the seven Beatitudes. In other words, the world opposes and finds it difficult to tolerate kingdom living. Why? Well, let's begin and consider how being poor in spirit runs counter to the pride of an unbelieving heart. Consider how the world admires those who are self-sufficient. Those who pick themselves up by their bootstraps and celebrate that they didn't need any help. Those who can accomplish success on their own. And the world looks down on those who are poor in spirit and recognizes their need for a Savior. Second, the mourning or the, the repentant heart that grieves over its own sin and the sins of society is not appreciated in this world. Third, the gentle and the meek person, the one who has strength not to take a personal offense, is regarded as weak by those who don't know Christ. Conventional worldly wisdom says that meekness is weakness. Fourth, hungering and thirsting for Christ is foreign and repulsive to a world that lusts after what it can touch and taste. Fifth, the truly merciful person who not only feels compassion and forgiveness, but but gives and offers compassion and forgiveness, is out of step with the grudge-bearing callousness of our society. In the very act of showing mercy, you're you're rebuking the uncaring. And people, they they don't like to be rebuked. Sixth, the pure, single-minded heart focused on God alone provides a convicting contrast to an impure and self-focused culture. And finally, the peacemakers, they make everyone around them discomfort because they're dis- dis- uncomfortable because they are not willing to, to settle for a cheap or counterfeit peace. But they will pursue true reconciliation. See, the foundational reason why a Christian will be persecuted is that he or she is pursuing a life of kingdom living. They're pursuing a life that loves Jesus, lives like Jesus, and is leading others to Jesus. And this is Jesus' point here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And then He continues, He adds to this, not only will you be persecuted because of righteousness, but in verse 11, He says, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you. Why? Because of Me. Brothers and sisters, everyone who lives like Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted because of you. 
Rather, he says, we are blessed when we are persecuted because of Him. I'm reminded of what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.15. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. This word meddler is an amazing word. In the original language, it more specifically means busybody or tactless. In other words, what Jesus and Peter are saying here is if you are pursuing a legalistic and judgmental life, if you are sharing your faith abrasively without tact, if you are sharing your faith in an insensitive or culturally inappropriate way, and as a result of that, people are opposing you or rejecting you, do not say I'm being persecuted for Jesus' sake. Brothers and sisters, if we are being obnoxious, we are being persecuted for our own sake. You are being persecuted for our own sake. And that blessing here doesn't hold. But if you are genuinely pursuing a life that, that loves Jesus, lives like Jesus, if you are genuinely sharing your faith out of concern and out of care and out of love, Jesus says you can expect opposition. And when you do, look at verse 12. He says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This should remind us of what Jesus proclaims in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but have chosen you, I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If the wind was in Jesus' face, as we follow Him, we can expect the wind to blow in our face as well. Mission Church, if you are following Christ, there is a guarantee. The hatred of the world is a certainty. If Jesus was hated and we are following Him, pursuing a life that lives like His, we will for sure be hated as well. Consider how less than 24 hours after Jesus made, said these words, less than 24 hours He was arrested. He was tried for crimes He didn't commit. He was mocked, He was beaten, and He was whipped, and then He was executed as a criminal. Then before He hung on the cross, He was dressed up as a mock king and the Roman soldiers made fun of Him. And then while He was hanging on the cross, onlookers verbally assaulted Him before a soldier impaled His chest with a spear. And so can you say that He was hated? I think we can. He was absolutely hated. I think it's helpful to know what Jesus means here in John 15 when He says the word world. You see, Jesus says the world will hate you. He's pointing to all of those who are living in open rebellion to God. Which means all people by virtue of our sin, everyone apart from Christ has embraced this kind of anti-God world system. Sin has ushered into this rebellious world in which we, we shake our fists at God. Therefore, by definition, the world hates Jesus because it stands in opposition to all that God is and stands in opposition to all that God is doing. And as a result, us, we who bow down to Jesus as our King and live as citizens of heaven, we will be mocked and ridiculed and opposed. I love what D.A. Carson wrote. He said, Former rebels 
who have by the grace of the king been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. Brothers and sisters, the most countercultural thing that you can do is follow Jesus. The most punk rock way of living your life is kingdom living. And as you pursue a life that matches Christ, you will face affliction. But consider what Paul told the Christians in Antioch in Acts chapter 14. He says, this is necessary. It's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he said, suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. That is why Luther reckoned suffering among the marks of the true church In one of the memoranda drawn up in preparation for the Osberg Confession similarly defines the church as the community of those who are persecuted and martyred for the Gospel's sake. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of His grace. Bless you. Everyone who lives righteously will be persecuted. There are no exceptions. Now this may sound counterproductive what He says next, but Jesus tells all of us who are being persecuted, all of us who are experiencing pushback because of Him and because of a righteous way of living, He says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. Now the question is begging to be asked, if I'm facing opposition, if I'm facing persecution, whatever it may look like, how how am I supposed to be glad? How can we rejoice in the face of persecution? Well, we can rejoice because the greatness of our reward, he says, is in heaven. We can rejoice because we have Christ. We can rejoice because no one can take Christ away from us. In fact, Jesus says this in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of My hand. Friends, if you belong to Jesus, you will forever belong to Jesus. Your salvation is not dependent upon you and God's promises are not dependent upon how you live or what you do. Your salvation and the promises of God are entirely dependent upon the unshakable and immovable nature of God Himself. Therefore, in the face of opposition, you can rejoice and be glad. These truths should bring our suffering into perspective. Think about it. Can you remember a time in your life when you worked really hard and sacrificed for something? that you really wanted, whether it was maybe a new car or a promotion at work or or a degree, do you remember how much joy you felt when you finally achieved or accomplished your goal? Think about what people are willing to invest and sacrifice to obtain success. How much money, how much time, how much energy, how much effort, how much heartbreak, how much sweat, blood, and tears that people are willing to invest for success. Think about how much people are willing to invest in sports. And when that championship is won, think of the joy that team experiences. It makes everything that they sacrificed up to that point worth it when they're holding that trophy. Now, it's exciting to reap the rewards of hard work. That's something that we should be excited about and find joy in. But let's be honest, those joys come and go. They're fleeting. They don't last 
Worldly success is fleeting. Maybe you do win the championship this year. That's great. Celebrate it. Because in the next couple of months, you'll be irrelevant when the new season starts. Maybe your hard work and sacrifice paid off and you did get that job and you did get that that promotion and the raise that came with it. That's great. We should celebrate that. That's awesome. Because now the real work's going to start as you experience all the challenges that come with success. Maybe your hard work paid off and the sacrifice paid off and you earned that degree. That's awesome. Celebrate it. But don't find your identity in it because you're always going to find someone else that has achieved a higher academic success than you. Friends, Jesus is inviting us to a greater depth of joy, a greater and a deeper level of blessedness. You see, the blessedness that Jesus is offering you is richer, for the blessing is not some accomplishment or material possession or or raise, but the, the blessedness that He's offering us is Himself. And Jesus, friends, He cannot be spoiled. He will not rust. He will not fade. Which means, even if you lose everything in this life, no matter what you experience, you can lose everything. But you are blessed above all people because you have Christ. You can go through absolute hell. Wars can rage. The economy can fail. You can lose your family and security and still rest and still find hope in the truth of the Gospel. As followers of Jesus, our hope is not found in what we have in this life. Rather, our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. There is nothing, there is no one that can carry the weight of blessedness in your life apart from Christ. Everything else will eventually crumble, but Jesus will not. He is the only one who will never leave you. He is the only one who will never walk out on you. Relationships are fleeting. They come, they go. This morning, He is reorienting us around Him. He is reorienting and reestablishing us and renewing us in the unshakable and immovable hope of the Gospel. Tell me, who or what are you putting your hope in? If you're putting your hope in anyone or anything else, those things, those relationships will eventually fade. And so I'm pleading with you this morning, hear me please, put your hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. For in Him, you will be truly blessed in a way that no one or nothing can provide you with the hope and the joy and the peace that He can. Now, the natural response to persecution, I think, the natural response to being rejected and to being opposed and ridiculed would be to shrink back in fear, to hide, to withdraw, to shut our mouths and to not speak up in situations where we could be opposed. I think it's much easier and safer to be quiet about our faith. It's easier to limit our interactions with non-Christians than it is to be reviled and persecuted. And I think knowing this, Jesus gives us clear instructions as He reorients us around the power and the purpose of kingdom living, which leads us to reality number two, the salt of the earth. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Notice that, that Jesus is making an emphatic claim right here. He's saying you, you are the salt of the earth. At this moment, at this time, you are. He does not say you must be or you must become or you will become if you do this. If you do this, then you become salt of the earth. No, He is saying right now, where you sit, you are the salt of the earth. 
Remember, Jesus is preaching this sermon early in His ministry. In fact, the disciples, a few uneducated fishermen, and this statement seems pretty presumptuous. Pretty, kind of absurd, really. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. Just think of those who are sitting there on the mountainside with them. Not, not you are the salt of Galilee or the salt of Jerusalem or even Palestine. No, he's saying the entire earth. It's crazy. Jesus is saying, look, you're going to be a part of a movement that will span across the entire world. In other words, Jesus was expressing extreme confidence in His disciples here. And friends, He is expressing extreme confidence in us as well. And what's so encouraging about this is that you can look back at the book of Acts and see that these men, despite their shortcomings, despite their inconsistencies, they had a great impact on the kingdom of God. Just as Jesus said they would. Which speaks to the truth that in spite of your inconsistencies, in in spite of your shortcomings, If you are in Christ, if you are His disciple, you too are the salt of the earth right now. And as we partner with God to see His kingdom come here in Las Vegas as it is in heaven, God can use you, Mission Church, in the same way. Now what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? When the context of this sermon, salt at that time was used for several different reasons. People would use salt to preserve meat. They would use salt as first aid, kind of like ancient peroxide. They would use salt to purify. They would use it for seasoning. As followers of Jesus, we can make a case on how that can apply to all of us and how we should live. But it seems that the primary idea that Jesus is making specifically here is that our lives as followers of Jesus, as we pursue kingdom living, well, we, we should have a purifying and preserving effect to the world around us and how we live. In the ancient world, there was no refrigeration. There was no uh, ice makers. The only way they could preserve meat was to, to rub salt into it or to soak it in a saline solution. In the same way, as Christians, we are called to be salt to a decomposing world that's rotting away. See, apart from Jesus, the world we live in is predisposed to putrefaction and rot. The invasive bacteria of sin and death are everywhere. The world which began in perfection has been diseased by sin and decay has set in. And Mission Church, like salt, we are to function as a preservative. The church must be rubbed into the rotting flesh of this world so that it might be preserved. In other words, as we pursue kingdom living, as we pursue living out these beatitudes naturally, as a result of that, we will live as influences of Christ in every space and place of our lives. Our presence in society naturally reduces crime, restrains ethical corruption, promotes honesty, elevates morality where there is none. Consider where you work. Consider where you go to school, where you shop, where you live and play. It is not by accident that God has placed you here. He has placed you in positions of influence. When we leave here each Sunday, we are equipped with the good news of the Gospel. And we are equipped to bear witness to the transforming power of Christ by the lives that we live, by the Gospel we proclaim. Friends, Do not isolate yourself out of fear. Do not withdraw from the world. Do not move because of political policies. 
We are where we are for a reason. And when we lose sight of this, we lose our saltiness. Look back at verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt shall lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt is only good as long as it maintains its integrity. Now salt these days is not known for losing saltiness. The salt in your cabinet's not going to expire per se and, and no longer have the effect of making your food taste better. But salt in the ancient world was susceptible to corruption because it was mixed with other minerals and contamination could Im- cause the salt to become impure. It would lose its taste. It would lose its ability to preserve and protect and purify. And when that happened, there's nothing that you can do to purify the salt. It was done. You had to just throw it away. It was no good. So how can we lose our saltiness? Tell me, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? How will they see and savor the goodness of Jesus How will they see and savor the wonder of the gospel? They won't. See, we, brothers and sisters, when we isolate ourselves from the world, we lose our saltiness. We lose our saltiness when we compete and compromise our biblical moral and standards. We lose our saltiness when we're seduced by materialism. When we put politics above the kingdom of God, Moral laziness, irresponsible words, foolish joking and actions. And when this happens, the attractiveness and the beauty of the Gospel and of Jesus and of kingdom living is lost. And we lose our salt. However, if we continue to pursue a life that loves Jesus, continue pursuing a life that lives like Jesus and is leading others to Jesus as we lovingly and gracefully maintain our biblical convictions when we infiltrate the world with the seasoning of holiness and of justice and of love and of righteousness, people will take notice and they will respond. And they will respond one of two ways. Either they will persecute you, like we just talked about, or they will fall on their knees in adoration of the one true King. Jesus uses a second metaphor to, to nail this home, which is our third final reality. He describes the power and the purpose of kingdom living by saying, you are the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Speaking of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said that, that He is the light of all nations to bring God's salvation to the end of the earth. And now Jesus here on the side of the mountain proclaims, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Friends, you are the light of the world. You are a light in a city shrouded by darkness. Last Sunday, we had our Discover Mission class. And I had an opportunity to share with those who were in attendance some of these statistics. So if you're there, you already heard this part, but... Consider the fact that we live in a city shrouded by darkness. There are over 2.3 million people. Less than 6% claim to have a relationship with Jesus. Nevada is among one of the least religious states in the western United States. And most already know that, that Las Vegas is not known for the Gospel. But rather, what is 
our nickname across the country, across the world, is, is Sin City. Our city revels and markets the darkness that blinds itself. Most people in our city, they don't wake up on a Sunday morning like today and think, I'm going to go to a local church and I'm going to participate in kingdom living. But rather, they are seeking to find the hope that, that the Lord provides in, in the things that the city is attempting to provide. Our city is known for what it replicates. Think about this. We don't have authentic pyramids. We don't have a real Statue of Liberty. Many pools have fake beaches, and there's even a counterfeit Eiffel Tower. Our city is a kingdom that's built on what is false. Many in this city seek to find their hope and their joy and their comfort and approval and security in, in that which this broken kingdom in dark kingdom is attempting to provide, which has resulted in widespread pain, widespread brokenness. Nevada has a suicide rate that's higher than 80%. It's higher than the national average. In addition, our state has one of the highest divorce rates, higher than national average of illicit drug use. Friends, the brokenness and the darkness of our city is palpable. It can be seen. It can be felt. Yet in the midst of all this pain and brokenness, of this dark kingdom, there is good news. And there is hope. Because Jesus has done so much to rescue us out of darkness, to bring us into His marvelous light. You see, what our city needs is not us saying this is what you need to do, but rather our city needs us to be going out of these doors saying this is what Jesus has done to bring you out of this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How do we do this? Well, look at verse 14 of Matthew 5. He says, you are, again, this is emphatic, right now, where you sit, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. Besides the moon and the stars in the ancient world, the city on the hill, most likely they were thinking of Jerusalem as he was speaking here, but there was no light. There were no like street lamps in, in outside of the city. And so the, the city shined in the darkness. And so if you were walking in the wilderness, you would see the brightness of the, the city. It was a picture of, of safety. It was protected. And this is exactly who you and I are called to be as the church, as an outpost of the kingdom of God here in Las Vegas. We are to be the source of gospel light to the people around us who are living in the darkness of sin and death. In a time before electricity and oil lamp and candles, they would be the way you would light your home. And it would be ridiculous to, to get the flame going, light up your home, and then throw a blanket over it. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. It would extinguish the flame and darkness would again fill the room. And in the same way, you and I are to live unashamedly, without fear, as gospel light in every space and place of our lives. Why? Look at verse 16. He finishes up here. So that they may see your good works and give glory. Why? Not, not for you, but they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's impossible to, to stare directly at the sun. It's pretty painful if you've tried it. I, I, I don't know. But you can stare at the moon without pain, right? 
In fact, it's one of my kids' favorite things to do at, on a clear night when there is a, a full moon. They, they like to go and outside and admire the beauty of the moon. Last time, my daughter reminded us all that the moon is only has light because it reflects the light of the sun. In the same way, friends, when we are in the midst of the darkness around us, for those living in darkness, it could be really difficult staring right at the Lord. It could be blinding. But it is easier for them to observe us as we reflect the greater light of Jesus and as a result, be led to glorify God themselves. So how do we reflect Jesus? How do we do that? Well, verse 16, it says, through our good works. But what are the good works? Well, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the persecuted, because righteousness, because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is how we reflect Jesus. These are the good works we're called to. Kingdom living. Brothers and sisters, as we live as citizens of the kingdom of God, the world around us will see. They will take notice of our countercultural lifestyle and they will either persecute us for it or they will see the light and they will realize that there must be a source of that light. They will see our goodness and they will see and assume there must be a source for that goodness. There must be a source for our mercy. There must be a source for our purity. There must be a source for our righteousness. There must be a source that leads us to mourn and grieve over sin and the sins of the world. There must be a source to the peace and to the joy that we have. And they will conclude that God must be that source. And they will not only praise God for the works in us, but they will be led to repentance and led to faith and experience the works of God in their own life. And in that moment, salt gets saltier, and the light gets brighter as they join us on the mission that we're called to, to partner with God, see His kingdom come in Las Vegas as it is in heaven. Mission Church, we are called to point people to Jesus through our words and through our lives. No matter what it costs us, or whatever it is you have to sacrifice in order to do it, the mission and the mandate of the church is that we would point people to Jesus. And as we do, as we set our minds and hearts on Jesus and His kingdom, we will be blessed. Therefore, even in the face of evil, in the face of darkness, you and I have reasons to rejoice. Because we have anchored our hope in the truths of the Gospel. And as a result, we can move forward. We can cling to the promises that we have in Christ and learn that Christ alone will give us this reason to rejoice. Brothers and sisters, we have nothing to lose and we have everything to gain in this moment because our hope is in Christ. So rejoice. Even when people insult you, rejoice. Even when people lie about you, rejoice. And when people persecute you, rejoice. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. And though there are tough things for us to hear this morning, we thank You Thank You for equipping us with everything that we need to live the life that You've called us to. Lord, we thank You that even in this moment now, if we have been not very salty and not really shining a light, Lord, that we can come to You in forgiveness and find forgiveness. 
that You are just and faithful to forgive us and that we can be equipped this morning as we leave here to be the salt and light that You've called us to. Help us in moments and in whatever space or place that we might be living and working and wherever it may be that we face the opposition. Remind us of the good news that we have our hope in You and You will not fade. Nothing can snatch us out of Your hand. I pray, Lord, that You would uh, be glorified. We love You and we give You all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.